Are you an entrepreneur or looking to become one? Looking to stay motivated, find happiness and true success? You're in the right place. Welcome to Empower Humans. I am so excited to bring you this interview with Eleanor Otto. She's been on Ellen. She's been on the Today Show. She's been on NBC Nightly News. She's been featured in the LA Times. She's won tons of awards, including Woman of the Year in the state of California. Why all this? She was one of the first and definitely the last working what they call Rosie the Riveter. They uh, built airplanes during World War II. She talks in this interview about uh, her sisters, Jean, Evelyn, and Edna, just so you know who those people are, uh, someone named Graham Crackers, who is her grandmother, and uh, her grandson, John. So just so you kind of, as you hear some of these names maybe pop up, uh, she talks about her childhood. We cover the whole gamut of nearly 100 years of life. Uh, her childhood in the Roaring Twenties. She was born in 1919, uh, the silent movie era, the advent of what they called the talkies, where they could record audio, and the, you know, the Great Depression in the 1930s, and, of course, the advent of World War II, and uh, just tons of great stories. This interview is the tip of the iceberg of a beautiful nearly 100-year life during so many formative moments of our nation. She's a very resilient woman. She has some simple great advice for all of us towards the end, from attitude to nutrition and stress. She's lost a lot of loved ones. Being nearly 100 years old, that will happen. Uh, She had a pretty serious car accident a few years ago at the age of 96, and she's resilient, uh, made it through just like all these other times in her life. I just think that we have a lot to learn from this woman and her life and advice are invaluable for all of us. If you want to hear about the Rosie the Riveter material, she talks for a couple minutes at the beginning and a lot more around 27 minutes or so. This is an extremely short interview, but you'll hear about all that at those points. And she talked about how they rivet the planes, inspect the work, some of what she had to experience and go through and starting to work with the men in the workforce, all these different things. She worked doing this up to the age of 95 years old. So that, this is why she was on Ellen and all those other things. She gives us, like I said, some tips for living that's found towards the last 10 or 15 minutes uh, as well. She wrote a poem after JFK was assassinated, sent it to Jackie, who responded gratefully. This episode is one, like I mentioned, of resilience, both in her life and there are a few minor technical difficulties. There's some resilience there just in our recording of this interview. Uh, it just popped up here and there, but also we recorded this in her living room. So there's a bit of an echo. You can hear her alarm system beep a few times. Uh, plus she's got so much dang energy. She moves around. She hit the microphone here and there. So you'll, you'll know when that happens. And towards the end, my mic had an issue. So I'm heard more through her mic, uh, in that latter little section, but, uh, it's all good though, as I've, you know, I've since fixed all that technical stuff moving forward for all these other interviews we're going to be doing. It just underscores, again, the resilience of this lady, her great example, and again, a nearly 100-year life. She may live to be 200, for all I can tell at this point. Uh, The content is what this is all about. And so she is a proud and priceless member of the greatest generation. And again, at nearly 100 years old, we could all learn a ton from this fantastic woman. Now, this was a long interview to go along with her long life, so it is divided into parts one and two for your convenience. So without further ado, here is our interview. It's a privilege to be here with Eleanor. 
who is uh, an inspiration for so many people. I don't know that you're aware of that. Are you, Eleanor? You've been an inspiration to a lot of people. And, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you're, you're one of the first of what people have called a Rosie the Riveter. And uh, for those who may not know what that is, tell, tell me about the term Rosie the Riveter. We didn't, when we were working during the war, there was no mention of Rosie the Riveter. We didn't know we were Rosie the Riveters until decades later. Oh, really? When somebody decided that those women built airplanes for the vet, for the men that went to war, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we have to honor them in some way. So I guess that's what they did. They got that little statue or the lot of the uh, Rosies say, I pose for that, but I don't know if anybody posed for it. I think it was just a, a drawing, a picture or something with the, up there, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, she has a picture here. Yeah, it was just a that. symbol of what we did. And, and but the, we didn't dress like that. We did not wear, uh-uh. No, no, we no didn't. you didn't wear bandanas no, we did like not. the picture. And they make me wear and I tell them, we did not wear that. So in those days, <clears throat> the men went off to war. Yeah. And so the women, what were the women doing? Well, they advertised for women. That's what it was. They went advertised for women to, to come work with the men that were left. There was a lot of men that didn't go to war for different reasons. Yeah. They had good reasons. And uh, they didn't have time to train us. It was a challenge for us women to think we could go do the men's job and find out if it's true that they always said they worked as hard as they did. Yeah. But we found out they didn't because we were able to do it and we weren't that tired. <laughs> so, you know? And so, so the riveter, yeah, yeah, that's amazing because back then women just before that didn't work like that. Women, as no, far as I'm understood, because I wasn't around. They did not. <laughs> no, no, you wasn't around. They did, and we didn't. They didn't give us special jobs. A lot of women couldn't get special jobs regardless of their education. Yeah. Uh, I was a. I typed. And then I got tired of that because you didn't make much money and I was bored in an office. So I started to do waitress work. Uh, car hopping was better than just waitress because I could run all over the parking lot, you know, with trays, food on cars, which they don't do anymore. That's an, another obsolete job. Yeah. Well, time, it was fun. Yeah. And we get tips, you know. Yeah. So, so we made more money that way. Right. And as far as the whole thing with building airplanes. I mean, the reason that you're well known, you've been interviewed by Ellen, you've been interviewed on NBC Nightly News, the Today yeah. Show, you've won a whole bunch of awards, some yeah. of which I'm looking at right now, the uh, <laughs> Woman of the Year 2014. Yeah. Um, you've been featured in Los Angeles Times and all kinds of stuff. And a special award from the veterans that uh -huh. they never gave to anybody out of the military. Yeah. Me. Oh, that's incredible. So. Yeah. And what it is, is you were building airplanes for most of these years yeah. up into your 90s, and now... I was building, I put my gun down when I was 95. Right, and now we're, we're close to 98 next, yeah. next week, as yeah. of our recording of this, right? And right. Uh, so let's talk a little about your, your background leading up to all of that. You were born in, uh, must have been 1919. 1919. Almost 100 years ago. Huh? Almost 100 years ago. <laughs> well, she's sticking her tongue out at me. Yeah, almost 100 years. But so, uh, that said, what was that like? Where were you born? 
Where? Yeah. Los Angeles. Oh, you were born here in Los Angeles, and so... I'm a native. You're native, and you've lived most of your life here. Jean was born in Spokane, Washington, and it upset her, because she's the only sister that wasn't born in California. Right, your sister Jean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so she was born up there, and you um, spent most of your childhood and most of your life, really, in... California, California and so- Southern California. Yes. And what was that like, though, in those days? In the early, you were a kid, of course. In yeah. the 1920s, though, what was that like? They call it the Roaring Twenties, but you were just a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then my mom used to go to this dance, and uh, then they wanted to pick a kid to be Miss New Year's of 1925 or 26. Mm-hmm. So we went over there and got interviewed by all these guys and I was too old for that but mom didn't tell them my real age they didn't even then I looked younger than I was mm-hmm. so I, I became Miss New Year's of 1925 but my mom didn't have the money to get any pictures oh really I've never had any pictures if I had a picture I wouldn't have put the date on it but <laughs> it, it would have been nice <clears throat> but um, so 1925 <clears throat> you're like six years old mm-hmm. almost yeah well uh, two months later I would have been you know, uh, I was born in October, so in two months, 1920. And so what did you guys do for fun when you were kids, though? Did you... Uh, we lived a lot in Long Beach. Uh-huh. In our earlier years, we lived in Long Beach and uh, with graham crackers and my mom. And uh, we, we, we call, we call we, your grandmother we graham beach. crackers. Yeah, we went to the beach okay. every day and the pike because my mother's brother worked at the pike and we got in free rides you know what's what's the pike the pike is where they had ferris wheels and all kinds of things to ride on and uh-huh. all kinds kind of, of like a little amusement park yeah amusement park. it was a big one in those days yeah and then they had a big swimming place for kids to swim and everything so we spent our time there a lot and uh, go go to the show there was a show right on by the pike now where you took me it was a big show and it was a big and of course it was a nickel or a dime or something you know <laughs> which is like kind of like like the silent movie era yeah uh-huh did you enjoy that and, uh, we did did you have favorite actors or uh <clears throat> we liked we liked uh, movies that weren't with women we didn't like to love things but we liked his old movies with uh, just airplanes and um just the men flying and everything. And <laughs> I was, we was looking back and talk, laughing one time about one of them crashed. The plane crashed, and the guy got out with just one Band-Aid up here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the plane the, was demolished. <laughs> the, yeah, these were the early days of movies. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were. Well, but you see all the new technology as it went along. You know, Al Jolson, half the movie was in singing, was in voice and the other part was silent and it all started to kind of slowly that way you yeah. know but in those days they had to talk and have a lot of dialogue and many of them didn't make the talkies because their voices just didn't register right <laughs> you know I don't, that was that, that was the end of them <laughs> yeah things things changed with the yeah, yeah with the sound once they had sound in the movies <laughs> the sound came stuff. yeah it's not like now but you've lived a long time to where you've seen all this technology over the years where that's we, it you notice all the different technology it's, it's just wonderful how they come along with the coloring it was everything black and white and then they got this color in and uh, Talkies, all talkies, all for the whole movie. We was excited about that. What was the first color movie you saw? Was it 
I, uh, oh, I think it was Al Jolson. I think it was one of Al Jolson's. I think it was. Was that kind of a magical experience, do you think? Yeah, Could you see it? Wow, yeah. it's color on the screen. And then um, they had vaudeville on the stage. Mm-hmm. We got tired of movies, so we'd go see vaudeville, live people. Mm-hmm. And in those days, you could see it over and over. You didn't have to leave like we do now. Oh, you could just sit there. And yeah, we just sit there. We took our lunch. Were they little were kids? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they were they shorter movies than now? Like you know. Yeah. Now it's like two hour movie or. <laughs> well, they'd have a a couple of movies and, and the news and a cartoon and you know all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was fun. But uh, we started seeing this thing on stage, and Ted Lewis was a a famous vaudevillian. Yeah. And um, we liked it because he used to sing "Me and My Shadow," and the way he did it was just so, and he was so good. So we we sat close to the front row, and one time he looked down at us and said, "Are you girls still here?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, who would ever happen now? Nowadays, you can't you can't stay over in a stage show. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no, not well, with the prices they they charge. But then we got locked in the show one day, one night. John, uh, Gene, and I we got locked in. It was locked, and finally some janitor came out and opened it. It was about five o'clock, and, and uh, see, Graham Cockers trusted us. In those days, you didn't have all these problems going on. Even little kids, we didn't get robbed or anybody tried to grab us or anything like that. So you know, we, so, it was so, safe. So we were living a life where doors unlocked. Yeah. Trusting people, not yeah. like now, Southern California in particular. It's oh. lock all your doors. Oh yeah. Yeah, times have changed and, and values have changed. But so one of the things I want to touch on too is you must have been about ten years old when the stock market crashed, which was nineteen twenty nine, right? Yeah. That's and true. your birthday's in October, so it was October yeah, of nineteen twenty nine. Yeah. So right, what was right, right, close to my birthday, yeah. Twenty nine. What, what do you remember about that? What was that like as far as us kids don't remember anything like that? Did we you see remember. people running around stressed? People were uh, jumping out of buildings and everything because they lost all their money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we didn't remember that. We knew that, I don't know if we even realized there was a depression because mom and graham crackers would see that we ate whether they did or not. Yeah. It was like that. Then they got to the point where they couldn't do anything financially to help us, so they put us in this Catholic orphanage. Right. Right. But we didn't care what they did as long as we were together. That's how we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got sick, went to the hospital, like I told you, with diphtheria, I don't know how long I was in there, and my little sister was there not knowing, she didn't know where I went, where I was, but finally I guess I got well and they brought me back. But like I say, we used to stand out there on Sunday waiting for them to come to visit us, and lots of times they couldn't afford the bus fare. So you're, you're standing out so there waiting for visits. Waiting for But mom. there's no cell phones calling, hey, oh, we didn't make it. Of course not. No, <laughs> nothing just, like that. You just say, oh, well, it's sunset or something. They didn't show so we up. So uh, if they didn't come, it got late and they didn't come. So we just go do something else. And, uh, as long as we used together, as I'm saying. Whatever happened to us, what we used together, we sort of survived it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah as I we see. was kids. And so you kind of... You kind of became aware that well we're in the depression, but again, again you're a little kid when all this started. Yeah. But then you become more aware, I'm sure, as you become a teenager. Oh and, yeah. 
So you yeah. became a teenager in the early... I, that's early why we early. ran away, because they couldn't afford our shoes, you know, like I told you. So let's tell that story about running away. So what was that all about? Well, because uh, one time we was listened to Mom. They were playing Pinochle. She had married to a Navy man. They used to come over the house and play Pinochle. And uh, we heard them saying, uh, the kids need shoes, and we just can't afford it. We just can't afford it. So I thought, my bright idea... Just run away and won't have to worry about us anymore. You know, <laughs> I was the instigator. So Jean went along with me. She was younger. So we packed our clothes and sneaked out while they were playing pinochle. Uh-huh. And sneaked out and we walked across the bridge where guys were fishing. And our suitcase opened up with our undies and everything fell out. We were so embarrassed. <laughs> oh, so you're, you, you're fully ran like you had a suitcase and everything. You oh, yeah. Just, okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's in the that's in the museum in England. They've got it all there. What what we did in England? Oh, mm-hmm. really? They came and interviewed me, and they said that that was an important story. That was, um, I was the most popular exhibit. Oh really? <laughs> in, in the museum. And you guys, so when you ran away, so then what happened? It's not. Well, we got to the bus station. We had no money. I don't know what our thoughts were as kids. We were teenagers, I guess then, and so I. Uh, some man looked at us and he could see we're just young and kids. So he came over and handed me a $5 bill. He just handed it in my hand. Oh, I said, thank you. And his name was Paul Kahn. I will never forget his name, even though I was that young. Yeah. Uh, we, we even tried to get him on the computer to see if I could ever get him and find him and remind him in case he was still living. But um, that, like I told you, that $5 took us... On the bus, both of us, to L.A. from San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then we rented a, a hotel room for three or four days. And How much uh, was the hotel room in those days, if you don't mind? I don't even remember. It must have been cheap. Well, $5 did all that. Yeah, With $5. the bus, the hotel, uh, four days, three nights, going to the show every night. Yeah, it doesn't every much. day for $5 for both of us. What so, do you think? Yeah, five dollars. I mean, you're talking several hundred dollars, maybe yeah, in today's for now. dollars. So he was pretty generous for. Well, I don't know. He was for five dollars. Yeah, because we used to go to the store for five dollars, and I don't know how many bags. We just couldn't carry it all. The, the irony about that is maybe you could have gone and bought shoes with that five dollars and just gone home. Yeah. <laughs> Were you afraid you're going to get in trouble though? Because you guys already ran away. Oh no! Uh, my mom was so upset. They were so upset. They didn't know what to do. You know. <laughs> so luckily for her, uh, she had a friend living up there. Yeah. And somehow she found us. I don't know how, but she found us and told the bus driver, "Keep your eye on the girls." And yes. I think he looked at us to the mirror more than the road. His eyes were constantly on us. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> it. must have been some woman intuition thing that they were able to find you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I can't remember what mom said about that. Women have a special uh, they do. In- intuition. They do. They? <laughs> yeah. We do. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I for one, have you know experienced that. it secondhand because I, I don't experience it like you guys do, but <laughs> you ladies. Yeah. So... You experienced that. So any other things from that era as far as the Great Depression? What kind of other things do you remember? Because towards the end of that era, what I hear is what got us as a nation out of that was the war, ironically enough. Uh, but what else do you remember as you consider well, your teenage years? and Oh, then. 
Yeah, obviously you did a lot of the movies and you did these things that funny yeah. ran away and they came and found you with the woman intuition kind of thing and you came back apparently but uh, mom was so glad yeah well any mother would be if a child's gone so she wouldn't punish us she was too happy to see us <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah she's probably pretty worried yeah but uh, we Hard time finding clothes, going to school, and all that stuff. You oh, know. And what was it like going to school in those days? I mean, it's okay. People were nice, you know. I mean, there wasn't all that shooting and things are going on now. We used to think the school was the safest place to be. Yeah. Now. Well, in some cases. Is there a safe place to be? <laughs> you never know. You never know. You gotta be careful. All yeah, times. it was safe, and and the kids were nice, you know. And, had, and in that era. When you get, obviously you had to eat food. What kind of food were we eating in those days? Gosh, I don't know. Mom tried to have vegetables and things like that, but graham crackers uh, couldn't afford much. And she she had a lot of beans and fried potatoes when I went to Panama, yeah. Uh, she married this guy in the service, so he was going to be stationed in Panama. And so I was excited because then I was staying with mom and she was staying with graham crackers. Uh -huh. So I went to Panama with, and the only thing I liked about it was uh, on the Panama Canal. But the first night I got there, I was ready to come back home. Bugs going up the wall. How did you guys get to Panama? You, huh? you weren't flying an airplane in those days. You were taking a ship, weren't you? Oh, we took a ship, yeah. It took us 12 days to get there. 12 days to Panama. 12 days. Okay. And it was the most miserable, humid <laughs> mess yeah. we've ever lived in. There was no air conditioning anywhere in those days, in <laughs> cars, in buildings, or anything. So we had to take six, seven, eight showers a day, and the minute you got out, you still was miserable. <laughs> it was just awful. Yeah. It was awful. And we did, couldn't even sleep with the sheet over us. That was too much until I saw Frankenstein. Then I saw Frankenstein, and I put a sheet over me. I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> did you like those monster movies, or was that? Yeah, when I saw that, I, I liked the other one uh, better, a gangster movie. I forgot what it was, with Paul Mooney. Yeah, a lot of what they did in those days, they had monster movies, gangster movies, uh -huh. and musicals. And musicals, yeah. And there were some war movies, too. Oh, I loved too. all the musicals. We loved yeah. all the mu we go see all the musicals. But Gene liked uh, uh, kind of, um, what was that one with the Charlie Chan type movies, you know. Uh, kind of a mystery? Mystery movies, yeah, like yeah. that. She liked those. <laughs> and yet she was with me when we went to see the musicals. And through that whole era, Jean was kind of your closest companion, wouldn't you say? We were as your very sister. close, yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, so you you went through all those times together and probably built a pretty strong bond as sisters, you didn't you? We've been bond for 20, 25 years. We were together all the time. And uh, we had a, I had a boyfriend uh, that we used to drive us to work because we didn't have a car, they didn't have a cars then, and drive us to work. And then when he got, let's see, well, when he got upset with me, he wouldn't speak to her either. <laughs> <laughs> These things have been happening every generation, boys and girls, someone uh -huh. gets upset, no, someone doesn't talk to someone, someone breaks up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but one time him and I went to Tijuana to buy something, and because in those days, Everything was for the war effort. Silk, we couldn't buy silk stockings, you know. 
That's and right, that's couldn't what I hear. Buy, I couldn't buy shoes for my son because all the leather goes for the war effort and everything. So we went to Tijuana and, and get things like that. But then as soon as you start washing the silk, it almost fall apart in your hand and, and the shoes didn't last long. And no quality in Tijuana, of course, but mm. there's nothing we could have done. We yeah. had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, during those days leading up to the war, and after, did you work at all other than you just worked in the home, keeping uh, things Gene clean? and I uh, went to work taking care of kids in a home. Uh, she had, we, we flipped a coin, so she got the girls, which she was sorry later, and I got the boys. 10 or 12 of them each. She had 10 or 12 girls, little girls, and I had 10, 12 boys, which were easier to take care of. They had to have their hair done on and little girls, you know. So for $10 a month we was getting room and board. We'd have to get up in the morning, fix something for them, give them, uh, wash their socks. We were young kids. That was before the, uh, the what do they call it, the kids' protection I forgot what they called that. Mm -hmm. As far as the child labor, the child labor child, laws. Yeah, before the child labor laws. Yeah. Yeah. So you could so, work, what age were you, do you think? In those? Uh, 11 and 12 or something like that. 11 and 12, yeah. 12 or 13. And you had some responsibility. You were making breakfast, taking care of these kids. Yeah, and at night we had to give them a bath and wash their socks out. <laughs> put them to bed and then one time I took them to the show all the little boys but I, I had a crush on a, a one of the ushers and I was afraid he would think they were all my kids <laughs> I was afraid of them I spent my whole time in the show running them back and forth to the bathroom <laughs> yeah well you hope you don't have too many kids at the age of 12 I know but I, I didn't think he knew that yeah, the things kids think of when it's you have a crush. Those stupid minds that think way you think. You don't want your crush to think anything, uh, <laughs> anything of your situation. Yeah. So, so you're working these jobs, making ten dollars a month, which yes. in those days was probably we talked about the five dollars. Ten dollars yeah. is yeah, but it still wasn't much. Yeah, it wasn't. for all we did for a month. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. That still was not much. But it, it probably instilled some sort of work ethic in you that yeah. that got you understanding the value of earning a dollar, the value of the work. and Yeah, because well, because we, we stayed there for room and board. That was part of it, too. Oh, well, that's part of your pay to an extent, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that was part of it. <laughs> but it still was not enough. <laughs> so you were staying there, and in the meantime, your family, you could talk about graham crackers and... Mom. You, you wouldn't actually live with them for some of that time. You'd be staying yeah, there. Yeah, a lot of times I, I was with my mom, mm -hmm. and uh, she didn't know what to do you know, financially. She dropped me off at one of my aunts or something like that at night, and I'd wake up, and I didn't know where I was. I'd look around. I didn't know where I was. So these things, did that happen often? I mean, oh, yeah, quite a few times. You'd, you'd show up and not know where you were because... Because she dropped me off at night when I was sleeping. You'd wake up a little confused. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, things like that happen. Mm -hmm. Through no fault, just people not having money and stuff. So we suffered through it all, but we didn't realize it at, at the time. It's all you knew. I mean, you were that's a kid, we so you didn't I mean, know life that's before you knew. much. And, that's right. Mm. So... As I'm saying, we went through so much together that it's just hard. That's all. I just feel like part of me is gone with her. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Well, that's you build these bonds with people, and that's that's yeah. what happens. She's still with you. I bonded with some of my friends, and I, every time I talk to Bernice's daughter, I, I fall apart because she just passed away a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. when I was on my way to see her when we had that car accident, when that truck came in front of us. Oh, that's right. You had a car accident. Yeah. I was on, John was driving me up to go see her on her deathbed, mm-hmm. and I never got there. Mm-hmm. I had to go to the hospital. So Sorry to I, hear that. You know, just... So many things happen. Yeah, this, and I've read some articles. When you live as long as you have, it's, it takes some toughness because you start to lose people. You Yeah, that's it. Things happen, see you have body nobody, gets older. Nobody around your age, you know. Yeah, you don't have... And yet I have the nerve. <laughs> uh, the Rosies, they have uh, conventions, and I've been to one or two. But I told Rowan, I don't want to be around these old people. <laughs> You don't want to be around all the old folks. I, I like the uh, the ones that go with them is their children. Their children go with them. You so know. Why, why don't you like to be with the old people? Some of them just kind of... Well, uh, we, we've been to some homes with the older people. Yeah. They're suffering maybe or... Uh, well, something like that or they don't understand when you try to explain things to them. But a lot of them are older and wonderful. Oh yeah, a lot of the Rosies are just... Typical, I mean, fine, no canes, no nothing. A lot of them, oh yeah. And carry on a People good got the idea like that everybody's half dead, but they're not. Yeah. You know. And, and let's talk about the Rosies, because this is kind of the, the pivotal thing as far as your life, too, because you spent a lot of your life that, that kind of changed the course of your life. And, and what I think about is... I hear about Pearl Harbor Day. Of course, again, I wasn't around, and a lot of people these days weren't. Because that was That's now right. 76 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, of course. And December 7th, right, 1941. Now, you lived through Pearl Harbor Day, and you lived through 9-11, which was another attack on our country, a different sort of attack. That's uh, right. We, I lived through... But you were, you were an adult by that time, so how would you think those compare? But also, what was it like in 1941 in particular when that happened? I was, uh, where, I, where I was at, I was in Santa Monica. My mom, stepdad, and I were looking for a breakfast, looking for a place to have breakfast. And it came over the radio that Japan has, you know, got, hit Pearl Harbor. And then uh, President Roosevelt came on and said, this day will live in infamy and everything else. And uh, my stepdad said, oh, don't worry, there won't be no war, mm-hmm. you know. Of course it was, as we know. But what excites me now is to meet these veterans that went through it. You know, a lot of them have been through that. But uh, it changed everything. It changed everything, I mean, didn't it? Uh, everything. They blacked out the cities. They camouflaged the buildings, you know, where you're building war things, where you're building airplanes and stuff. They're all camouflaged like little, look like little cities. But see, Somebody else finally, finally admitted it. In fact, they told me in one of my reviews, one of my interviews, about this. I was in Santa Monica. I was living in Brentwood Heights. Yeah. And one night, we looked out, and the aircraft firing. I could see it from Brentwood Heights to Santa Monica. So we were attacked. 
and, on the, and they know, nobody ever wanted to know anybody to know, to know it, but these guys knew it. Wow. No, nobody believed me until it finally came out. So they, so what they did was they blacked out the cities, camouflaged the buildings. This is what mm-hmm. I'm hearing, and some of this stuff, <laughs> some some of the people who are World War II uh, aficionados who knew this stuff may know some of those things, but I didn't realize they were doing all that. Oh, of course, blacking out the cities. And oh yeah, try, basically trying to because America had already been attacked in Hawaii. Yeah. Trying to avoid the but mainland. They, this was an attack right in Santa Monica too. Nobody wants to uh, wants to hear about it. So they they, they were shooting anti aircraft fire. The next and, day we went over there. And there was holes in the ground and everything. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! It, it was by the old Douglas plant. Wow, wow. So at that point, as far as you mentioned, it changed everything, and we enter this war, which you know we we now know World War Two, but. Yeah. Um, how did that evolve into you becoming this Rosie the Riveter building airplanes? What happened next? Well, we just kept working there, you know. Well, you, Pearl Harbor was attacked. You weren't building airplanes before that, were you? Well, no. And so that that happened, and no. then, and how did you get into that? Well, line because of work? they were advertising for women. Yeah, they needed the women because the men. Yeah, men were and busy. So, <laughs> I thought, oh, well, sure, you know, <laughs> a challenge, yeah, to work with the men and everything. So they were so nice. At first they had, had a fit thinking they were going to have women working with them. They wouldn't be able to take their shirts off or smoke or, or do whatever. But when they found out that we were cooperating, cooperated with them and, and whatever they showed us, we learned easily they didn't have time to train us there was no training time you know you had to get the ships out build a so i i even remember some of my uh some of the guys names yeah my lead man was named bob lawler really <laughs> you remember all this stuff yeah and is that one of your, your first people you worked with yeah the people huh? i worked with yeah, yeah. And, and they were so kind and i was always a fast worker they used to make fun of me, even Jean did, because I figured out something. There was a big casting, a heavy casting, that a real crooked, funny-looking, heavy piece of metal had to go in it. And nobody could figure out how to get that thing in there. <laughs> I finally got a mallet, and I pounded and pounded, and I pounded and pounded. And it was hard to do, but it finally got in. And I was pounding away. I'd have an audience. <laughs> and everyone's watching you. I'd have an audience, yeah. <laughs> I always had attention, and I didn't, I, honestly, God, I, didn't, I don't try to get attention, but I've always had attention no matter what I did, you know, and I don't understand it. But anyway. Well, it I, sounds like you're somebody who takes initiative to, to get a job done, taking initiative and... Oh, yeah, I, I, was, oh, I was determined. You saw something needed to be done, and you just went and found a way, didn't you? I, I, I found a way all the time, wherever I worked. Wherever I worked, I was going to do the right thing, you know. And uh, I got my river gun there and everything. I was just thinking, I got my river gun, I, I was riveting, working when Roosevelt died, working when Pearl Harbor, working, 
working, not, no, not Pearl Harbor, working uh, with all these other things that happened along, assassination of Kennedy. I had a river gun in my hand. The bosses knew. They drugged me in the room and tried to console me because they knew how much I liked him. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. That's when I sketched this little poem out. Finally, they saw it, and they made the girl write copies of it, uh, the, the secretary. And so... Like I said, they didn't have a copy machine in those days, so I was typing my head off. Everybody wanted a copy. <laughs> yeah. And my son read it in Germany. Mm -hmm. In Germany, they, he read that poem. Oh, for when Kennedy was assassinated? Uh-huh. Wow. That was a big thing. Oh, yeah, Oh, God, when he was assassinated. Oh. Who was the president? But you know what? For four days, there was no crime. Almost all over the world. There was no crime for four wow. days. Wow. That's true. Yeah. That's how much you'd be respected and loved. Yeah. That's, uh, I can't imagine because it's just such a different time now than it must have been. Yes. And, and you talk about those, and we'll touch more on that here in a minute too, because when we talk about the war time, you were in there day in, day out. What time were you getting to work? I can't even remember. It was early. Early. I mean, what I Sometimes remember. Sometimes you'd work on the weekend. It all depends if they needed things to ship, ship out in time. And mostly you're building, or were you building airplanes or are you building ships too? Well, no, building ships is in uh, Richmond. Okay. That's in Richmond. That's what Evelyn did. You had to be Other a welder. Sister. You had to be a welder to build ships. She was a welder. Yeah. And then you have three sisters total, right? Well, Edna didn't do nothing. Edna didn't no. work during the war. No, she but didn't. But Evelyn, you, and Jean were all working on... us three were original Rosies. Uh-huh. The only reason I get all this attention that a lot of people are jealous of is because I worked when <laughs> I was 95. Hey, well, they didn't. A lot of people aren't working at all past 60. people are so thrilled that I, I'm willing to work. I, I, I get handshakes by bigger generals and everything, and thank you for your service. Thank you. I mean, from all these big shot people, oh my God. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I didn't win the war myself. <laughs> they act like I did. Well, you, re you represent something that we call... I the, guess so, huh? We, we call now the greatest generation. I mean, these, That was the greatest generation. I mean, you and, and your contemporaries from that era were working dang hard and yeah. sacrificing a heck of a lot for the we future cared about of the world. People. We yeah. cared about people in those days. Yeah. You know, you cared about people. And you but wanted, not, not only that, you put your money where your mouth was and worked and made it, you know, helped us win the war yeah. for your part, for their part. Everybody yeah. did their That's part. That's right. Everybody they? got together and did what they could because we had rationing. We couldn't get a lot of food. We, we couldn't get butter. We couldn't get eggs. We couldn't get, like I say, clothing. Uh, couldn't get tires for a car. You couldn't get a car because all the rubber went to the, everything went for the war effort. Ah. Everything. So because of all that, there were less resources for the the homeland here. Let's say mm -hmm. the well, that's right. The people back home because we had to support everyone. But we were willing. Home. We were all willing. I mean, it was all part of it. We we wanted this war. We knew we had to win this war. That was all thought. We knew we had to win this war. So however we're going to do it, we're going to do it. No matter how much it hurts us, and no matter how inconvenient it might be, no big mm -hmm. deal. Inconvenient yeah. when those other men, a lot of them, don't even come back. You know. Please continue on to part two in the next episode and continue hearing more about Eleanor, her life story, and her many experiences and some of the things that she has to share with all of us through all of that. 
Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.